Well, boys, what are you going to sing? The squeezer was not any use. A lemon without any juice.
my mum gave me this nugget of information and she said that actually on the east coast it is a thing and that in in the u.s they hold conquer championships because of course you do, because you define <laughs> everything that you possibly can as a sport over here. Right, we're very You can't just have something be a playground yeah. game. You're like, oh, this exists? Oh, okay, it's now a sport. We're going to put it on ESPN. That's why we've never made an American remake of Great British Baking Show. Because one, we'd have to take out the word British, which I feel like is a big selling point. But two, <laughs> th- we'd have to attach like a cash prize or like you win your own bakery or you get to, you know, like what, what's the prize on Penn and Teller on, on Fool Us? You what's get to like open for that, them. What's the prize on that terrible TV show of Nailed It where they bake bad cakes? They, they get money. And the worst cake you bake is $10,000. No, it's uh, the best of the bad cakes. So it's three people who have no idea what they're doing. But it, it, it's astonishing that that you know they're rewarding the only failure reason, the only you're rewarding you get, failure the only reason you get to go on that show is if you're already terrible at baking so if you're good at baking there's no reward for you You have to be awful and then but it angers me because i'm always sitting there and like i could do a better job than that and i'm not very good at baking and nobody's giving me ten thousand dollars because you have to be willing to be humiliated that's the thing there was another show called the worst cooks in america which i've only seen barely but i saw this clip going around where this guy was doing one of the talking head interviews they, they find people who do have no idea how to cook and they basically put them in a cooking challenge to see who can suck the least mm-hmm. and this one clip of of a guy going, I thought I knew what an onion looked like, but I did not. <laughs> How do you not know what an onion looks like? So um, anyway, that's just the American sensibility behind doing these types of things. And so I think it that does. So conkers do exist in America, is what I was saying. And we have a competition. But that's incredible. Jacob is a California boy, right? And so we there are no conker trees around here. No, we're too hippy dippy. Like uh, not too no, sweetie. The climate doesn't allow for conquer trees. Oh, sure. <laughs> well, I can't think of like, I mean, I can't think of anything you're where... You're too hippy-dippy for conquers? I, I mean, so one thing... Playing that, with nature, you're you're not... That's well, a hippie thing. I mean, okay, it's more like the, the competitive aspect. Like, I don't think... I can't recall a time in my childhood where we used plants for competition. <laughs> like, there are those plants, I, I don't know what... Poo sticks! Yeah, but then you don't, like, win. There's no, like, real account. There's, I mean, yeah, you sort of... You win. But also, that's also British in origin. Yeah, and the only reason we Winnie know of it is Pooh. because Winnie the Pooh has gl- incredible, enormous global If nobody appeal. knows what poo sticks is, you find a stick on the floor, and you stand on one side of the bridge, um, opposite to the flow of the, the water. Right. And then you throw your sticks down at the same time, and you run to the other side of the bridge, and you see which one comes first. Mm-hmm. That's poo sticks. It's, it's a stick race. It's a stick race. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure that there's um, some weird, corrupted children who would gamble on poo sticks, put mm. money down. But you don't gamble on conkers. Yeah, but the, the the idea of having the best breeding, it's almost like you're breeding the best conker. No, you just go to the park and you find them. But then you boil it in vinegar and paint or paint it with no, nail varnish. No, that, that's, that's cheating. Nobody does that. I well, mean, but if pe- everyone's doing it, it's not cheating. People do do it, but then you would just go, you would just point at them and go, cheater, 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 liar, liar, your pants are on fire. And then you would be like, nobody go near them. They, they cheat. <sighs> okay, well, if you have any <laughs> thrilling childhood memories about Conkers, be sure to send us a message and we'll incorporate it into a future episode. Anyway, today I really wanted to talk, I discovered this idiom uh, recently and I, I wanted to discuss it a little bit. Um, Annie, are you familiar with the term cam- the camel's nose? I actually have never heard this, apart from when you told me you were researching it. I, I'd never heard it either. Yeah. Um, and I stumbled upon it unintentionally and i'll get into how i found it later so Uh, it's not british or american or me and you just haven't been exposed so uh it 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 is it is a reportedly of arab origin but it is an english language expression so 
here, here's a, here's so what it's I'll not an it's not an expression in Arabic that's been translated. So uh, it it is derived from a fable. Uh, an early example is a fable printed in 1858 in uh, in England, mm. um, in which an Arab miller allows a camel to stick its nose into his bedroom, then other parts of its body until the camel is entirely inside and refuses to leave. So sort of the idea of this camel comes to this. Uh, a miller. What's a miller again? They're like, they grind... Uh, a person who operates a mill. Okay, they yeah. make flour. So, and they have a home, and the camel is cold. And so it, it says, can I just stick my nose into your living room? It says? Or it just does? It, it says. Oh, it says. Yeah, can I put my nose in? Fables frequently have talking That's animals. That's so cute. Yeah. Can he I just, just wants to put his little nose in the tent. Right. And Aww. then he goes, well, my nose is in here, but the rest of me is still cold. Can I move more in? Can I move more in? And then the, eventually the entire camel is inside this guy's living room, taking up all the space, and then says, well, now I'm in here. I'm not leaving. So it's the idea, it's a metaphor for a situation where the permitting of a small, seemingly innocuous act will open the door for larger, clearly undesirable actions. You give an inch, they take a mile. Exactly. So then what I wanted to get into is there's many, many different cultural interpretations and many ideas surrounding this. Uh, first, I want to talk about the origin of specifically the, the camel's nose idea. Can I ask, um, I'm curious, since yes. you say it's part of, it, it might be um, Arabic in origin or fr from that part of the world. But, but it's from the English language. I wonder if it has something to do with colonial times. So, th this comes into uh, the 1858 example, um, this printing, according to... Uh, the, so, Jeffrey Nunberg is the uh, um, writer who, who discovered this, he, what he believed to be the first usage of this. Um, however, when he uh did some digging into it he couldn't find anything that had to do with any arab folktale so he believes that this is just something that the person who initially wrote this fable said to give it some sort of like historical credence to say like oh this is an arab tale that they use to uh, to talk about this well really they just i think they just wanted to make it sound more exotic or storied or historically significant so they said it's an Ar and you know because if you want to talk about a but camel, they just invented it there and then uh, th there's no evidence to say that that's not what happened Okay, but is there evidence to say that it was used past this publication? Uh, there's also... The, the oldest example that this guy could find was from this printing in 1858. Hmm. N nothing that predates that. Nothing that he could find of Arab, of, uh, of Arab origin. But is this saying actually... Was this saying... Is it commonly used today or was it commonly used during a period of time? It is still used with some level of frequency due okay. to the success of this initial printing. Um, in fact, the Wikipedia page for this, a 1909 essay by John B. West, founder of the West Legal Classification System, used the metaphor to describe the difficulty of trying to insert an otherwise innocuous set of facts into a rigid legal system. So the idea of like, if we make this thing legal... Mm. Then next they're going to ask for this thing to be legal. And next they're going to ask for this thing to be legal. Sure. It is frequently employed as a, uh extrapolation and interpretation of the slippery slope um, argument. Argument. Yeah. The, mm -hmm. the oh man, the, uh, there's a you, certain You type do of... one thing and then it'll lead to this thing and it'll lead to this thing. Right. Yeah. And and often those arguments are completely unfounded. Oh, completely, completely unfounded, completely you unfair. You have no idea yeah. that if you do one thing, it's definitely going to lead to something else. Yeah. The, the... It, it's a common uh, argument, argument tool, argumentative tool. Like if tool. I eat the chocolate bar, I'm also going to eat the candy, and then I'm going to eat the cake. Right. Yeah. If if you like, if you say, if if someone asks, like exactly to use the camel exactly, the camel puts its nose in the tent or the the living room. It's always going to want more. And then it says, "Well, you've already let my nose in. What difference does this make? Mm -hmm. Oh, you've already let this in. What difference? Is it? Like, it's just a little but, bit more." Okay. 
Why can't we just be kind to the camel and let him by the fire? That's the problem I have okay. because the camel is cold. And this, what this is essentially saying is, uh, is that if you try and help people, they're going to take advantage. They're going to take advantage of you, and that is the, that's the tricky thing. And so people can say, "Oh, it's the camel's nose. You can't let the camel's nose in." But uh, that is essentially it's a way of shutting down an argument. But also, say, the ca- but the camel was cold. And the camel was cold. So there's a degree of injustice that's occurring here. Yeah, because and, if you don't let the camel in, then he's just going to freeze outside. Right. Uh, another instance. So essentially, John B. West uh, said, if you um, if you were to allow this thing to happen, that it would just cause the legal system to become completely bogged down. Um, like three excellent people spent an entire day in disagreeing as to whether seal fishery cases should be classified under the topic of fish or that of game. It's the old story of the camel's head in the tent. What seems as first is plausible pretext for forcing some novel case or new principle into a topic or subdivision to which it does not naturally belong leads to hopeless confusion. So if you, you like, this is something that comes up in law. I, I, I would, I would mm-hmm. reason. Um, if you allow this absurd conversation to take place, you're essentially enabling for no progress to be made because first we have to determine what is actually happening and then all you're doing is slowing down the whole system. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what he, what he says. Then uh, U.S. Senator Barry Goldwater, uh, a five-term senator from Arizona and the Republican Party nominee for president of the United States in 1964, he used the metaphor in expressing his opposition to the National Defense Education Act. Uh, the bill and the foregoing remarks of the majority remind me of an old Arabian proverb. So again, this is a guy who didn't know that this thing wasn't actually Arabian. Mm. He just described it because someone told him he was, he just assumed that it was. Well, it was a popular myth. It was a popular myth, yes. Uh, if, uh, If the camel once gets his nose in the tent, his body will soon follow. If adopted, the legislation will mark the inception of aid, supervision, and ultimately control of education in this country by the federal authorities. It's... It's the same argument that's being used in politics today. If you allow X, then obviously they will try to get Y. Like like the healthcare system or any kind of Exactly. Support. People being terrified of the concepts of socialism. People being terrified by the... Con- but like in, in, in many instances. If you give people free healthcare... Next they're going to want uh, free food and free housing, which is fine. But that's <laughs> the argument they're saying. You're just going to end up... It'll be... Uh, your taxes are going to go up because you're going to have to pay for all this other yeah. stuff that people want because once you give them one thing, you're just going to want a million things. But this is a concept that pretty much, like, uh, as an argument, um, it's not unique to America. Like, the idea of um, give them an inch, they'll take a mile. Right. The slippery slope. Um, I'm trying to think of more. So there's a whole... Part of why I wanted to talk about this is because there's many different cultures that have their own versions of this. Oh, cool. So, like when we spoke about being a gooseberry. Exactly. That's part of... Yeah. Um, so the... Uh, three big ones are foot in the door, which is a persuasion technique. All you have to do is get your foot in the door and then eventually you get your whole body in there. Very similar to the idea of the camel's nose, but that's the same idea. But it's not used as negatively. We use that in a positive way, like get your foot in the door and then, you know, you'll get your in. But what if it's your house and they're putting their foot in your door? I know, but isn't it interesting that it's not used in that context? It's used in the context of you're saying to somebody get your foot in the door and then you'll be fine you'll what, get in the, whereas the camel's nose you're like don't let the camel in it'll take too much well I, I, I would posit uh, that who's the person who has their foot in the door what are they doing with their foot in the door I always think of the pushy door to door salesman who you open the door so you can listen to them and then if you let them in enough that their foot is in then you can't close the door anymore Oh, you think of it negatively? That's always how I thought of I it. I always think of it kind of like positive. Like well, you would say to your friend, like, "Oh, they're trying to get a career in marketing," and you'd be like, "Oh, you, you know, I'll." 
Once you Let's get your foot in the door. In, yeah, once you get your foot in the door, you'll be fine. Yeah, like, of course. I'll, I know. I'll I'll hook you up with my other friend who's in the business, and they'll help you get your foot in the door. Yeah. You know? Of course. Yeah. And, and But I mean, the thing with all of these analogies is that, you know, I also hear the idea of the camel's nose, and I think, well, the camel's cold. Maybe we should build some housing for the camel instead of worrying about it taking our space. What if we provided it its own but space? But then when you said what you just said, I thought, yeah, I don't want a customer self salesman in my house I, any of these could be interpreted either way that's, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's a big thing with them uh, also the idea of the domino effect sugar yeah, yeah. um people have uh the, the slippery slope slippery slope that's thing. on here too yeah uh or the um the less metaphorical creeping normality but the domino domino effect going back to that one is more of like a cause and effect argument whereas the it, the, the camel's nose to me sounds more like somebody's going to keep taking from you. Like you give someone something and they're just going to keep taking. Well, the domino effect, there was a, uh, um, there's an art piece or maybe a, a, a scientific study or something, but it's been used as a meme mm-hmm. uh, that shows a little, do- like one little domino, if you knock it over, it can knock over a domino significantly larger than itself. And then that domino can knock over a domino significantly larger than itself, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, moving on up. So the dominoes can gradually increase in size. It's just still that one little domino. They knocked it over. Right, but that's still a cause and effect argument as opposed to the camel, which I was saying was more like somebody taking more. Right. I mean, Wikipedia is just lumping these things together. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they are similar, and I've never thought about comparing them before. I'm just remarking on the difference that I notice. Right. Uh, and then that also brings up the idea, of, do you know the, the boiling frog? No. So the boiling frog, this is another, uh, the notion that gradual change tends to go unnoticed until it's too late. So you, if you have a frog mm. and a pot of boiling water and you throw the frog into the pot of boiling water, it'll jump right out immediately because it doesn't want to get burned. Mm-hmm. However, if you put a frog into a vat of cold water and then slowly increase the heat of the water, you'll cook the frog and it'll die because it won't notice. That's not very nice. It's very, it's, it's particularly cruel. Um, but yeah, that, that, that's the analogy that if you... If you introduce something dangerous all at once, people will immediately be against it. But if you introduce it slowly, just by the nose and then the head and then the neck and then the top half and then the bottom half and then the tail, then you'll be like, well, what, you know, this thing has always been gradually increasing. That's a horrible, horrible, like, who needs that? Like, let's do terrible things slowly over a long period of time. I mean, one thing that I've noticed. Is that what it means? Well, it's it's. Can you use it in a positive context? It's a warning to avoid that sort of thing. Oh, it's okay. A, it's a warning because you don't. In this situation, you are the frog. Oh, I, it's again the slippery slope argument in yeah. a way. Like things will get worse. Mm-hmm. It's just going to get warmer. Uh, yeah. And what you want to do is figure out a way to turn that heat off. Yeah, we, yeah. Often used in politics as well. You know, when someone tries to, you know, put in a law that you think, oh, this law is not that big of a deal, but if they keep legislating on this, one day, you know. We'll end up with whatever it is. Whatever it is, yeah. Uh, then we have the one that you use. Give them an inch and they'll take a mile. But the original saying is give them an inch and they'll take an L. Do you know what an L is? E-L-L? No. It's a Northwestern European unit of measurement, originally understood as a cubit. The word literally means arm and survives in the form of the modern English word elbow. So if you give them an inch, they'll take an arm's length. That was the original term. That makes sense because we measure, thing in, measure things in feet. So yeah, to totally. have an arm's it's length makes thing. sense. Yeah. Uh, then we have, uh, and also that apparently uh, in Chinese culture, the inch mile saying, uh, which is a quotation from the book of later, of later Han about a Chinese general who took over Long, now known as Gansu, only to pursue further southwards into Shu, now Shijuan. So yeah, the, give them an inch, ask for a yard. You know, if they take a little bit, they're just going to want to take more. Um, now, I'm going to provide to you the 
expression. I want you to guess as to what culture or what language this is from. Okay. Um, if you offer them a finger, they will take your whole hand. Oh, I've heard that. Is that British? Um, so I'm seeing it that it is Romanian oh. and Russian and Polish and Finnish and German and Dutch and Portuguese and Spanish. They oh. all use independently all, I mean, you know, who knows what independently is. You but give them they, a finger, they'll take your hand. Uh, or arm. Or arm. Yeah. But if you, uh, you lend a hand, they want the whole arm. You lend a hand, they grab at the elbow. Those are the uh, Spanish and Portuguese ones. Okay. Um, but yeah, in, in Finnish, the expression is if you offer the devil... Even just a little finger, it takes the whole hand. Oh, okay. So yeah. more specific. Yeah, more specifically, but like the idea of introducing evil or, or wickedness into your, um, into your life. And but then the I prefer that because it's not saying everyone is out to get you. It's just saying that like someone with evil intentions. If you offer a wicked person, I believe in in the analogy of the camel's nose. The camel was a bit of a sleazy character. The so camel was sleazy. The ca- the camel Why? was because the camel. I think you're being very prejudiced against this camel, Jacob Rubin. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, maybe that's why, maybe it was it was um, racist theming that in, made the person who originally wrote maybe this Maybe the media made the camel look bad, but the camel was a fine camel. Yeah, yeah, that's potentially it. But it's, you know, they wrote the history. Yeah. So in their interpretation, the camel was attempting to take advantage of the poor miller. The poor oh. living room owning Miller, who just wanted to have their space. And then the camel's like, well, you have your space. Why can't I? And, that's, and that, again. But then I could just say to you that maybe the Miller wasn't poor because he was a business owner and the camel was poor because he didn't have any shelter or anything. The camel was essentially saying, I just need to be warm and then I'll be able to continue living my life. We don't get to see what happens later. Once the camel warms up and they decide that they're warm again, what are they just going to stand around in there? Eventually they'll have to leave. This is a big debate about camels. Right. This is a question about the what do camels really want? And I think they want to uh, give me rides when I visit in Israel. I, went, I rode a few camels. It was pretty fun. I'm sure that that's not in their manifesto. Well, every camel I've ever met wanted me to give, wanted to give me a ride. Okay, hit me with another one. So in Greek, a similar expression, this one also feeds into a more uh, conservative or capitalistic idea. Give the peasant freedom and he will hop on your bed. You, oh my gosh! Yes, this Greek idea, remember, founders of democracy... Uh, it, it says the expression. Give the peasant in freedom, and he will hop on your bed. Yeah, if you, you essentially <laughs> that's saying, a funny idea, but we have to have, and then uh, the um, uh, you Bul- have to have an underclass. You have to have an underclass. The the Bulgarian uh, version uh, referred to another fable, but this one not about a camel. If you let the pig under the bed today, tomorrow it will demand to be on the bed. So, essentially saying we have to have a lower class. And if you allow the lower class to aspire to other things, they're just going to take the things that you have because that's the only way we can survive. That's what these are saying. Hmm. That is, of course, I believe that we can show that to be not correct through uh, kindness and action and activism. It's interesting that these ideas and this kind of like, this worry uh, against helping other people, this Mm -hmm. this feeling about um, not wanting to help others. I feel like we all... This is very positive to me, but I feel mm-hmm. like we all have this um, kind of innate sense that when someone or something is suffering, you, you want to help. Or, right. or maybe that's me, but I think most people have that. But there's also this worry or idea, oh, what if I do help them? And I feel like these are like justifications for people's conscience. You know, yeah. like like they're saying I, I, they, they feel bad for not helping. But at the same time, they're like, oh, well, I'll justify it because, you know, if I did help them, it would be worse. Mm-hmm. They'd want more and I couldn't offer that or it would become detrimental to me in some way. Yeah. I mean, if you if you offer someone anything, 
then they might go, oh, well, this person's nice. They've offered me something. I'm just going to ask them for more. But then that's not what you necessarily wanted to do. And so I can understand this from a more individual standpoint because we all have what we have. Mm. And the idea of, and yes, of course, everyone wants to be generous. Everyone wants to be helpful. But at the same time, you also don't want to be taken advantage of. And that, I, I, I shared something on my Facebook page somewhat recently that's like, uh, whenever anyone says, talks about like feeding the hungry or helping the poor or anything like that, someone always says, what about people who will take advantage? And it's worth it to help. Yeah, there will always be a handful of people who want to take advantage, but I'd rather help a hundred people who need it and won't take advantage. And then if a few people accidentally take advantage, whatever, what, what are we going to do? At least we helped the people that we helped, mm. which can be, uh, from an organizational standpoint, from a large reaching standpoint, I totally understand it. But if you're an individual, then it's much more likely that a single person could be taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I understand people's way of thoughts in that way. Um, but I, you know, uh, yeah, it, it, it's protecting the self versus helping other people. And how yeah. much people want to balance that. Exactly. We, we all have our different zones of But I of think that people do feel bad for not helping others. And that the, these sayings are, show that people have a conscience in some way because people are trying to justify it. Yes, you need the justification to prevent yeah. you from... Yeah. Uh, then there's two more that I want to talk about. Uh, in Norwegian, there's an expression, a rolling snowball will be harder to stop. Snowball effect. Oh, yeah. Snowball mm. effect. I mean, we talk about that in sociology and psychology. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, that's a... That's a common argument. Yeah. Yeah. And then finally, this concept was the premise of the children's book, If You Give a Mouse a Cookie. Did you have If You Give a Mouse a Cookie? We, I, I never did growing up. I, th- I do think it's an American thing because, I mean, we do have cookies, but we have biscuits. Right. Um, but I, I have seen it from my, ch- my years in childcare. I have read this book. If you give a mouse a cookie, then he'll ask for a glass of milk. Exactly. And if you give a mouse a glass of milk, it's not the best lesson to be teaching it's, kids. It's, it's not. This, I, I'm looking at this. The, the <laughs> book was originally published in, in 1985. They want a, first they'll want a glass of milk. Then they'll want a straw to drink the milk. Then they'll want a mirror to avoid having a milk mustache. Then they'll, then they'll see themselves and they'll want scissors so they can give themselves a haircut. Then they'll want a broom to sweep up the hair after they give themselves a haircut. Then they'll want to take a nap. If they want to take a nap, they'll want to have a story read to them. They'll want to draw a picture. They'll want to hang the drawing in the refrigerator. They'll look at the refrigerator, so they'll want a glass of milk. And then, because they're having a glass of milk, they kind of want a cookie. <laughs> it's a cute, circular thing. Yeah. Um, but the and thing I is... And I suppose that the, the, the message, might, someone might argue that the message might be about, um, you know, to children not wanting too much. You know, like... Maybe not asking for too much. Like, I was always brought up not to ask. <laughs> like, be happy with what you're given kind of thing. Yeah. So maybe it, it has that stance. But in relation to what we've just been talking about, it doesn't have a great message. No, it doesn't. It, uh, right here, alleged political symbolism. According to a Washington Post article, the book was believed to represent a critique of the welfare state and entitlement programs in the United States, which is uh, such a dark look at if you give a mouse a cookie. Oh, God, like a brainwashing program for young kids. Yeah, like they, they think about the idea of like charity and helping people, and they just think about that greedy little mouse. Oh, that's awful. Yeah, so... Um, I, I don't know why I really want to talk about this. I just thought Oh, that, God, I've read that book to children. Yeah, and it's... it's. And I, I've not really thought about it. They've asked me, they said, oh, the mouse in the cookie book. Oh, okay. And I've not really put that much thought into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's a remarkable uh, thing that we're essentially teaching. Like, don't allow yourself to be... I mean, it's like, don't allow yourself to be the victim, but also, like, you have to close yourself off to people who may be in need. And the fact that this is an this is something established in I mean think about all those different cultures that I just read. 
Yeah. But it is an ongoing problem, isn't it? It's, it's an ongoing fear that people have. Mm-hmm. The balance between balancing the, their their own needs and the needs of others. Right. And this is a constant debate that happens in politics. It happens... It, it, it's a debate in morality. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you balance your needs with the needs of other people and live right. harmoniously? Um, and that's something that we're still figuring out as, mm-hmm. a, as a human... As human beings. As human beings. And this episode will come out after the election, so we'll see sort of how these sort of techniques will feed into uh, the way that the world is viewed yeah. when we come back. It's crazy how much language feeds into that, though, and, and these notions that you're taught, these analogies and idioms actually feeding into these mm-hmm. quite big political ideas. It's worldwide and goes back centuries. Yeah. Yeah. All okay. right, that was a heavy episode of Boodoo a Goose. Yeah, uh, thanks so much for listening. <laughs> uh, please send us emails, boodooagoosepodcast at gmail.com if we have any uh, other sorts of these idioms or expressions or even things that pertain directly to the slippery slope, snowball effect, uh, um, give them an inch, take them out, camel's nose sort of thing. Uh, yeah, if we left Especially translations out. in other languages. I find mm-hmm. them fascinating. Yeah, like we did the, the Gooseberry episode, which is a much uh, a, a similar idea, but much lighter. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh, if, if you have anything like that where you think there's uh, more to be said about it, then yeah, let us know. Um, and think about the way that these uh, sayings have affected your life and the way that you relate to others. Mm. Because remember, we're all just people and we're all just trying to uh, get by any way we can and uh, don't close yourself off to helping those who may need you, but also don't take advantage of people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, follow me on Twitter, at Jacob S. Rubin. That's all I... Yeah. <laughs> that is all. That is all. Uh, yeah, so... Um, I've been Jacob. And I'm Annie. And this has been another episode of Boot to a Goose. And remember... Nobody says potato. Boo to a Goose is produced by Will Scoville as a part of the Comedio Network. Thanks to Hannah Wardle for the art and Max Abrams for the theme song, She Couldn't Say Boo to a Goose. Send any questions or comments to Boo to a Goose podcast at gmail.com. Hey everybody, my name's Dane. And I'm Jimmy. And our podcast is called Bubbling Questions. We do Would You Rathers from listeners and a Twitter bot. Along with one-person game shows using ridiculous stuff we find on the internet. Like what kind of ridic are we talking? <laughs> I shall not tell you. Okay, all from our very real hot tub. Oh yeah, 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 very real. Uh, not a gimmick at all. <laughs> find bubbling questions wherever you get podcasts. And I'm Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs>